Good morning. The second reading is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and we'll start on page 795. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that part of God's word open in front of you, that part from Romans 1 that Nat just read to us. We're about to embark for the next uh, few weeks in the book of Romans, at least the starting part of it. Uh, It's a great book, a famous book, a book with great truths hidden within it, but uh, without the assistance of the Holy Spirit, it won't mean much to us. So let's pray that he might help us. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for giving us your word and giving us the book of Romans. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us by it, uh, that you enable us to uh, see you more clearly and find delight in you. Uh, Father, as we come today in different situations, we pray that those of us who come needing comfort would find it in your word, uh, and those of us who perhaps have become too comfortable uh, would be challenged again by it, uh, that in all of us you would bring about Christ-likeness and we would live in such a way that pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're new to our church, then you wouldn't know, but if you've been here for a little while, uh, you would know for 2011, for the past six months, uh, this has been our year as a church for reaching those we know. That's been our little theme for 2011, reaching those we know. Uh, that is, we've been specifically praying for and thinking about three friends uh, that they might, through us, come to find life in Christ. 
And over the next seven weeks, we'll be looking at uh, Romans 1 to 5, the opening chapters of Romans. A reminder for us uh, of what the message is that we want to share and why it is that it's worth sharing it with others. Why we want, well, not just three, but as many people as we can to come to know this great news. Uh, seven weeks for us to, to glimpse again how in the gospel, God reveals himself, his righteousness is revealed for us. Now, before we delve, though, into it, let, let me ask... How are you feeling? How do you feel about not just delving into Romans for the next few weeks, but let me ask you, how do you feel about our year of reaching those we know? How do you feel about the challenge of praying for and speaking to and trying to reach three people that you know? Deep down, how do you feel about the gospel? Because we just read the Apostle Paul's words, uh, 1 verse 16, skip over the page if you're there from verse 1. 1 verse 16, what does he say? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, I think he's doing a, a fairly, you know, almost Australian, understated rhetoric there. But by saying he's not ashamed, he's actually, in, in saying, I'm actually quite proud of the gospel. I'm thrilled by it. And I ask, as you heard those words read by Natalie, did it resonate with you? Did you kind of go, yeah, absolutely, I'm with you, Paul. I'm not ashamed either. Because I know for some of us, we, we would have. But I also know that's not all of us. Uh, John Dixon, in his excellent book, uh, Promoting the Gospel, if you haven't read it, why not get a copy and read it, he speaks about how uh, his passion for evangelism got drained. Uh, he, speak, he says this, um, In my early years as a believer, I had absolutely no idea Christians should be coy about their faith. No one had told me I was meant to feel awkward about spreading the good news. Uh, and he goes on to explain how he did more formal evangelism training at his church, which meant the natural joy he had and his ability in just passing on his faith to others, it just kind of evaporated on him because he was overwhelmed with this sense of self-consciousness. Am I doing this right? Uh, for the first time, he's worried, oh, I might be doing it wrong. And for a while, he, he kind of lost pride in the gospel. And maybe that's closer to you this morning. So either way, this morning, I want us all leaving proud. Not in the sense of proud in yourself. I want us all leaving, taking pride in the gospel. Now, I want us to leave this morning owning Paul's words, owning them both intellectually, owning them emotionally. That each of us can walk out of here saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. How we get that pride? Well, I want us to get that pride back by seeing that the gospel, first of all, is God's great news. Okay, so Paul opens the letter, 1 verse 1, fairly traditional introduction, says who he is. In the first century, they had a great uh, kind of cultural custom uh, that you started with who was writing, as opposed to our custom where we write, you know, write a long letter and then put our name at the end. You have to skip to the end to discover, oh, it's from them. Oh, well, I'll go back and read it differently now. No, no, no. They, they helpfully said from the outset who it's from. But what Paul does, yes, it's normal to introduce himself, but the length of his introduction is not normal. From the outset, Paul wants to make it clear that the focus is not really him, but it's on God and God's work in the gospel. He wants it clear from the very start of this letter that this great news he wants to speak of is completely God's. Uh, it's seen in three ways in, in verse 2 to 5, uh, in the origin, in the focus and the result. Or to put it another way, it's from him, it's about him, and it's for him. 
Look at the origin, you know, where it's from in verse 2. Um, the gospel was promised beforehand through prophets and the scriptures. The gospel is not something new that Paul is talking about. And that's important to a culture that actually valued consistency and tradition rather than just kind of novelty and the latest gadget. More importantly, it's not a human invention. The gospel is grounded in the action of God. He chose to make promises, to reveal himself. He chose to have those promises recorded in the scriptures that we might hold God account over them. The gospel is God's because it is from him, it originates in him. And it is focused on his son, on him, verse 3 and 4. As we look at 3 and 4, just a little warning, we need to be careful with our titles. We don't want to confuse Son of God with God the Son. They sound awfully similar, don't they? Son of God, God the Son. But they're different. Um, Son of God was a, a title given to King David's descendants and that one of these sons of God would rule forever, even beyond death, an eternal kingdom, open up a way to a new life that would go beyond death. God the Son, on the other side, is the second person of the Trinity uh, who became the man Jesus. So, Son of God, that's a job. God the Son, that's a person. What makes it tricky for us is that God the Son takes up the job of Son of God. And so they do end up merging. And so we get a little bit confused. Uh, The reason we need to clarify it is Paul's point in 3 and 4 is the excitement that Jesus took the job. That's what the gospel's all about. And how him taking the job creates a new era. See, God's son, the son of God, had to be from the line of David according to the human nature, according to his human nature, or more literally according to the flesh. Throughout Romans, flesh is spoken about a lot as being the kind of old way, the old age that's passing away, as opposed to the spirit, the new powerful work of God, this new era that will last forever. And this son had to be from the line of the promised king, in this age of flesh, according to the the flesh, according to his human nature. But Psalm 16 had spoken about how this son of God would actually conquer death. This son of God would not see decay. This son of God would open up a new age, a better era. Paul's point here is the excitement in verse 4 that by his resurrection, Jesus is appointed the son of God. That is, the new era has begun of the spirit. His fulfilment of this promise, his defeat of death, means that Jesus, God the Son, is now the Son of God, the true Son of God, the ultimate Lord, the one who rules over all this age and the age to come. In verse 5, grace is poured out because of that. A free gift poured out. Why? For his name's sake. We want to see that the gospel isn't just from God, it is about God. It is his great news because it focuses on him, on his son. We see again how it's God's great news from verse 5, the result of the gospel, what it's for. Grace is poured out in verse 5 so that people from every nation can respond in the obedience of faith. The great news is that people, irrelevant of their their ethnic background, irrelevant of their, their cultural background, they can receive a gracious love that they don't deserve. You know, no matter who you are, you can come under the lordship of Jesus and you can enter that new era of the spirit beyond the decay of this fleshing age. 
Paul's expression there, the obedience of faith, is a little more ambiguous than how the way our version puts it. He doesn't spell out exactly how faith and obedience relate. Um, it could be that real faith always results in active obedience. Um, as the Apostle James put it, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Or it could be the flip side, that, that it's only obedience that pleases God. The only one that, that pleases God is that which is done with faith. You know, God criticises ultra-religious people in Isaiah's time by saying, these people come near me with their mouth, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, the result of the gospel is for the obedience of faith. Paul is ambiguous there, it covers both errors and re-magnifies the point that, that the gospel, the end result of the gospel, is that we might live not by our own strength, but for him and upon him, trusting him, obedient to him. Yeah, from the very outset, we need to understand the gospel is God's great news. From him, about him, for him. And that's going to fill us with Pride. Let me draw out three implications of the fact that it's God's great news that's been revealed that should fill us with pride. Now, first, the gospel is God's, not ours. It seems really obvious, doesn't it? But sometimes the obvious can be easy to forget. You know, we're so quick to put ourselves in the forefront, aren't we? And it's a trap we can fall into with the gospel. You know, there are moments where we might be tempted to change the message to make it you know, perhaps a little more appealing, a little more palatable. You know, I still feel it. Um, on Thursday morning I was teaching uh, a Bible story to toddlers at playtime and with unbelieving parents there kind of looking on and, and that afternoon I took a service at James Milson Retirement Village, unbelieving staff watching on again and it could have been tempting and it was tempting to, to pass on the message I want to give that I think will be a little more effective. It's not mine to change. It's not my gospel. Paul understood that well. In verse 1, he calls himself an apostle. Uh, literally, apostle just means sent one. That is, he knows he is nothing more than a messenger. It is not his message to do what he wants with. You know, I, I occasionally receive uh, requests for irregular marriages. Isn't it a shame when a phone... Is it for me? I'll check. <laughs> Saves everyone else diving in their bags for it. I occasionally receive requests for uh, irregular marriages. Uh, and my bishop um, gave great advice in thinking through when is it appropriate for me to, to marry a couple. Uh, they've come to receive God's blessing, not yours. That's really helpful for thinking. I think it's the same principle with the gospel. You know, it is not our message to change. They don't need to hear your good news. They need to hear God's good news. Pushing this even further, it's not even primarily about us, the gospel. In verse 5, the goal of the gospel is, is Christ's name, his fame. Yeah, it is good for us to speak about how God has worked in our lives, but, but telling others your story is not telling them the gospel. You know, the gospel is focused on Christ, and as verse 6 puts it, we are called to belong to him. Uh, it's said that uh, those poor, born post-1970 are called the me generation. And that's most our church. You know, it's said that uh, the me generation haven't had to put duty before themselves. Uh, they're typified by statements like, be yourself, believe in yourself. 
Now we need to be on our guard against twisting the gospel to be centred on us. Yeah, wouldn't it be dreadful if, if we only ever studied the Bible for how it might serve us not to grow in serving God? Now, there's one particular uh, gospel tract, gospel sharing tool that, that starts with the line, God has a great plan for your life. You might know it. To be honest, I've never learnt the rest of it because I've always had this nagging fear that that opening line might just pander to people's thinking that the gospel is primarily about them and what it does for them rather than about God. So I want us to take pride in the gospel because for the very reason it is God's and not ours. We have a wonderful message from the living God. Second implication, the gospel is God's but it defines us. Now, the reason Paul opens with this lengthy introduction is that he can't be understood as a person apart from the gospel. And nor can they. In verse 1, he calls himself a servant, quite literally, he calls himself a slave of Christ. He has been called and he has been set apart to serve the gospel. That's how he thinks and defines himself. And when he thinks of the Roman Christians, he thinks of them through the lens of the gospel. In verse 6, they are called by the gospel. In verse six, in verse 7, sorry, they are loved by God. They are saints. In verse 8, he goes on and gives thanks for their world-famous faith. That's great faith, isn't it? Known throughout the world. Yeah, the gospel of Jesus shouldn't just touch us. It shouldn't just affect us. The gospel defines us. It defines how we understand ourselves. And what a great relief it is. Instead of measuring ourselves by the the ups and downs of career or, or the achievement of family life and friends, we are defined by the gospel. In the gospel, by definition, you are a saint. In the gospel... By definition, you are beloved of God and you are specially called of him. What a transforming way of viewing both ourselves and each other here at church. You know, we are free from viewing ourselves according to the world's standards. Instead, what we can do is look at each other here as we gather today and give thanks for each other for their identity in Christ, as Paul does in verse 8. Now, reading through this passage is a great reminder for me. Now, I, I pray for um, us all here at church. I pray through um, our kind of congregational list. I pray for each of you. But reading this passage, uh, I stopped and I simply thanked God for every person on our congregational role, uh, you know, viewing them through that lens of faith and the gospel. You know, we, we, we can be proud of the gospel because the gospel is not just part of a, you know, a well-rounded life. You know, you're a mother, you're a sister, you're a worker, you're a friend, you're an Australian. Oh, yes, and you're a Christian. No, no, it's not just a subset of all the things that are you. It is the definition of who you are if you're in the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean it pulls you out of all those other fields of life, but it defines who you are in all of them. William Wilberforce, the, the politician who secured the abolition of slavery, I think his life captured it brilliantly. Um, After his conversion, he was tempted to to leave politics and go into kind of paid church ministry. Uh, John Newton uh, wrote to him and pleaded with him not to. And Newton wrote, It is hoped and believed that the Lord has raised you up for the good of his church and for the good of this nation. And so Wilberforce stayed in politics, but he engaged differently as one defined by the gospel of Jesus. And just as you and I who are in Christ need to do the same. You don't need to necessarily change your field, but you need to be defined by the gospel wherever you are. 
You know, we take pride in the gospel because the gospel is what makes us who we are. Third implication and final. The gospel is God's, but it becomes our motivation. So after that opening introduction, Paul announces one of the reasons he wrote it. Uh, he wrote to explain to them he, he's had this long intended trip to come and see them. Uh, verse 10 and 11, he speaks of it. Uh, but, but he's not coming just to see the sights. Uh, he is motivated by the gospel. He wants to share it. In verse 11, he wants to impart some spiritual gift. Verse 12 suggests that the, the spiritual gift in some way has to do with him sharing his faith, them doing the same and, the, and them being mutually encouraged. Yeah, he, his trip is not just a package tour to see the sights of Rome. And it's not just even to visit them to encourage them. Uh, in verse 13, he hopes to yield a harvest amongst the Gentiles in Rome. You know, that is, he wants to get other people who don't yet know of Christ to hear of Christ. It's a gospel-motivated, gospel-driven trip. Uh, on one hand, he sees it as an obligation. Verse 14, uh, I am bound to Greeks and non-Greeks. Literally there, it's barbarians. That is, he, he's bound to you know, the right kind of Greek, you know, the upper class, well-educated, but he's also just as much bound to the not right, the, the kind of not respected barbarian out there, anyone, but to both the wise and the foolish. You know, on one hand, it's this obligation the gospel puts on, but on the other hand, it's just this natural joy that God has revealed himself. You know, the key verses perhaps for the, for the whole book, 1 verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, the, the gospel is, is God revealing his righteousness. Literally, a, a righteousness of God is revealed. It's not so much focused on, on just God's faithful character, though he is completely faithful. And Righteousness of God is not so much focused on how we as sinners are declared as though we're right by the gospel, though we are. The sense there is that this righteousness revealed is this activity of God. It's what God is doing in the gospel. Uh, he, he, his righteousness is there in the gospel on display for everyone to see because by the gospel, God is bringing people into right relationship with himself. And Paul gets that. And that's what drives him. You know, he grasps how this is universal, this is for everyone, it's for all who believe. And so he's driven, he wants to share it. And, and Paul grasps as well how it's, it's, yes, it's universal, but it's also particular. People actually need to believe, they need to respond, so he needs to tell them and call that. And most of all, he grasps that in God's message alone is the power of salvation. You know, without the gospel, no one can find eternal security. And so he's motivated. He's driven, he wants to speak of it. Uh, and if we've grasped that gospel, we'd have a similar pride, wouldn't we? You know, a desire to share it both with believers and unbelievers alike. Because some of us here, I suspect, need to take pride in the gospel so that we start sharing it actively with those who don't believe. You know, we, we need to switch our motivation from, from what will get the, the next promotion to what will reap a harvest of believers in the office. You know, to switch our motivation that, that our, our next renovation won't just improve the beauty of the suburb, but, but actually how our conversation with neighbours might powerfully save the people of Kirribilli and Sydney and beyond. I'm not suggesting we all have to buy tickets and get off to Rome, like Paul. Uh, it may simply be a, a shift in mindset as to why you do what you do. 
being more intentional about driven by the gospel about the choices you make. Pride in the gospel means we're motivated to take up activities that we might engage more with unbelievers. A woman in our our broader church uh, joined a local book club here for that reason. Now, it wasn't particularly painful for us. She happened to like reading. Uh, So it was a bit of a bonus at that level, but, but that wasn't why she joined it. She joined it so that she could build friendships with those who don't know the gospel and in time share it with them. Now, sharing the gospel doesn't mean we, we have to do the things we hate necessarily. It can just be doing the activity we love with a new reason. Yeah, that's gospel pride, isn't it? Gospel pride will mean we have different kinds of conversations. Now, I don't want us going, leaving here today, having these kind of awful, clunking, ramming opinions down the throat of others kind of conversation. That's not what I want. Don't do that, please. No, no. But it's genuinely sharing God's righteousness as it just intersects with the life of our friends and family. Uh, Someone in our church was emailing a friend in difficult times uh, and appropriately mentioned, you know, I'm praying for you, which opened up this longer conversation about the gospel. Some of us need to have more pride in the gospel and share it with those who don't know. But for some of us, that's, that's not the issue. We, we've got plenty of time and conversation with those who don't believe. We actually need to take pride in the gospel so that we actively speak to each other here in church about the gospel. Now, Paul didn't see evangelism as something that's reserved for unbelievers. In verse 15, he says how he's eager to speak the gospel to them, to you, to you, the church in Rome. You know, the gospel isn't just for those who don't yet believe. We need to hear it again and again. It's why every week, uh, my hope is we, we, we speak from the Bible that there are talks just as relevant for the believer as the unbeliever. You know, we all need to hear that gospel again and again. And you think if ever there's an audience open to talking about the gospel, you'd find it here at church. Yeah? And yet, strangely, some of us don't make the most of it. Our morning tea um, after the service is not just a chance to eat well, though generally speaking it is spectacular. Um, If you can manage to get out before the children come from kids' church and clear it, uh, it it is a super morning tea. But it's not just for us to eat. People work hard setting up, packing up morning tea to create space for us to talk, to share life and speak the gospel to one another. You know, if, you, if you never make morning tea or, or you never talk of things of God over morning tea, is it because you've forgotten your obligation, your pride in the gospel, your obligation to talk to fellow believers and mutually strengthen their faith? Now, some of us need to take more pride in the gospel and chat with other Christians. Now, we have another six months of 2011, you'd be aware. Another six months of talking about reaching those that we know. I hope by the end of it, you know, you haven't felt browbeaten um, or worn out by it. And I hope even more that you don't go, whew, can't wait for January 1, we don't have to talk about that anymore. No, no, no. It's about getting gospel pride, isn't it? Gospel pride is not tied to a season of life. You know, we live every day unashamed of the way that God has revealed his righteousness. So I finish with the encouragement of another gospel servant and his words. Live a courageous life. Confess Christ before men. Whatever station you occupy, in that station, confess Christ. Why should you be ashamed of him? He was not ashamed of you on the cross. Be ready to confess you now before... uh, Sorry, he is ready to confess you now before his Father in heaven. Why should you be ashamed of him? Be bold. Be very bold. The good soldier is not ashamed of his uniform. The true believer ought never be ashamed of Christ.
Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the gospel. Uh, We thank you that it gives us reason for uh, hope, for joy, for gratefulness, and most of all for pride. Father, may we never be ashamed of the gospel, but may we always delight in it. Uh, May it define us, and may you fill us with a longing to let others know of the greatness of the gospel. Open up those opportunities for us to speak of it with those who believe and those who don't yet. Make us always bold and very bold that like the Apostle Paul, we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a variety of ways we can respond to the word. Uh, Maybe questions and comments. Maybe just pausing to remind ourselves of what it means to be in Christ. But as a church family, we're going to respond by sharing together in communion. So as our musicians come forward, and those who are very graciously going to hand out the elements for communion come as well forward. We're going to hand out bread and juice. There's possibly port there as well. Is that right, Cathy? In the middle, port in the middle, if you prefer to take port rather than grape juice. Uh, It's our opportunity in a very tangible way to remember the gospel, to remember the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, So if you know and uh, trust Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, please take a piece of bread, please take uh, a cup and hold on to it and we'll, after the first song, take it together. Uh, But just to give you a moment to reflect on the gospel quietly... Before we sing, these words from Romans. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace that came through the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. As the music starts, let's stand and sing. We remember what Jesus has done for us.